and I think it's time that people start making their own decisions about the risks they're prepared to take. That's that's where I come from. Um, certainly in terms of theatre, we've got to get out soon because otherwise mm. theatre really is, we're going to start losing significant venues mm. um, and that would be really sad. So yes, I think it's time to come out. I think there might be a bit of a bump, who knows, but it's been a long time and I'm concerned about not just theatre but the impact on people's mental health, mm. the impact mm. on children. As you know, I have a, a, a lockdown grandchild who's met very few other people and who knows what sort of comeback there's going to be on that in, in due course. So yes, it's time and it's time to start moving. Whether theatres I think it's going to take quite a time for people to have the confidence to go back to theatre in numbers. Mm. I I mean, I, as you know, love theatre, but I will be moving cautiously with my freedoms. I think a lot of us have learnt what we need and perhaps what we can do without. Mm. It's certainly been a lesson for me. I'm not the most sociable of animals. I mean, I socialise if I'm in a rehearsal or anything like that. I'm not somebody, I'm not a party girl. I'm not a go to the pub with a big crowd. I like to go with one or two individuals and, and have quiet conversations. So that aspect has not been difficult for me. But I miss family. I miss being able to see friends and colleagues when I want to, rather than when the government tells me I can. Yes. Now, on that front... On the family front, I must say we had a we had a, a chat with Amy uh, yesterday. I think Nick Nick Lemesure and I had a chat with yes. Amy, and so that's the first time I've well, I had, we didn't see her house as such, for, 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 but it's the first time I've chatted to her since she she went up there. Yeah, and uh, and um, well, and uh, what an amazing story all that is, of course. But we, and of course we didn't see we didn't see her lovely child and that's obviously good we wouldn't want to terrify me and Nick Lemesure is not a memory you would want <laughs> in your early life yes he doesn't like zoom he doesn't actually like he doesn't like seeing me on facetime because he can't mm. touch me so your baby has the baby's been on zoom he's been on facetime quite a lot huh how interesting that's that really is word. 21st century, isn't it? That really yes, is. He, does, he doesn't like it very much. He gets bored quite quickly. How old is he now? He's four months. Huh. So and he's been on telly in his first four months. <laughs> yeah, he's more more than his brother. He's also quite a dramatic child. He's oh. quite, um, he's, he's very like Amy in a lot of ways. Uh, so, yes. But it's I'm pleased that she's been able to. I, I gather she's doing another of Nick's um, monologues, mm. which is is good for her. Yeah, she's she is as we know. I think it's worth one of the reasons I started this was 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 to put on record things that one only says, but then kind of record really. So it, isn't, it does need to be said that Amy's one of the most talented performers that um, I've ever met, or probably yeah. ever will. Um, that's very kind. Sadly, she, like many of her contemporaries, is looking to change career. And I think, oh, she, is she? I think she'll keep it going. I think she will always be a performer. It's it's inbuilt to her. But in terms of 
earning her daily living, she's taking a completely different path. Oh, right. She's starting um, um, an MA course in the autumn, or rather an MSc course in the autumn, and has quite different plans. But that's that's partly, that's partly uh, to do with COVID and the impact it's having on the industry, and it's partly to do with her own life experiences over the last 18 months. But I, I would say, and that this is one of the really sad aspects, is obviously I'm very friendly with a lot of her contemporaries from her drama school, and a lot of them are moving careers now because they can... Th th career in theatre is always a balancing act. It's, mm. it's Very few people make a lot of money. Very few people build up a big pension. They do it for the love of it but most of them don't have huge savings. And this year they have just been in such a bad way. And it, for, for anybody who had any doubt about the toughness of it, it's been, well, I'm going to look for a regular job. I'm going to find another way of using my creative skills. Um, two of them are retraining as teachers. Um, it, there is going to be quite a drift away from theater of that generation of talent and that is sad. Simply because the venues, you don't, you don't think, you don't think there's going to be a sort of a, a, a an outpouring of demand requ requiring the existing stock. There will be. I mean, the jobs market in theatres is already picking up, but it was already a very saturated course market. And one of the things we're sort of drifting away from the original question but one of the things that upsets me as you know I've done a lot of work with young people in theatre but when I've worked with young people in theatre it's always been the aim that the the use of performance the use of drama is about developing them as people developing them as co-workers helping them to learn to work as teams not to go into the business yes and there are since since I was young, there are now far too many courses that encourage young people to think that they're going to have a career in the theatre, and there are just too many. I mean, I've had mm. students who who've been set on uh, um, a career in theatre, and you just look at them and you think, no chance, not mm. as a performer, no chance. And that's just sad that they are being encouraged by all of the colleges of further education, especially who have degrees in performing arts. There's just not enough jobs to go around. Well, that's very surprising. I, I, my, I have very much less contact with these things than, than you do. Mm. But one, one always hears from, from educationalists in that field that they are fairly stark in their uh, lowering of expectations, you know. Mm. Mm. So it's, it's, it's sad, um, I think, Amy will use her music more than performing. And it's also if you if you start to settle and you have children, uh, you you're a parent yourself. Mm. Inevitably, your work is going to take you away from home. What do you do? Yes. I think, yeah. well, as a mother or a father, you want mm. to be there for them through those yeah. years. Oh, absolutely. She may come back to it in in later life when there are more job opportunities. Oh. I mean, if well, somebody offered her a TV series tomorrow, she'd probably say yes. But she's not actively seeking that now. Well, that's that's what I was going to say. That the one area that seems to have boomed and flourished, I don't know about boomed and flourished actually, but the one area that, that of, of our field that doesn't seem to have been hit too hard is television and film. Because it's yeah. you know, 
and he I'm glued him into their tellies throughout the whole period. I know. I am hugely um, in admiration of the changes that particularly television crews have made to the way they work. I don't know if you've read much about it, but the way they... Not are... a lot, actually, no, no. Oh, it's fascinating. The way they are dealing with social distancing um, mm -hmm. and the the way they're coping with that and the changes in technique and the changes... I mean, Kit, you're an actor. Can you imagine as an actor in some dramas, they're actually filming a scene. If, if they've got to be close together, they're filming it say it's three people in conversation mm. but getting very close they're filming it with with three times and mm. the film like putting a, a song track together mm. and that's hard as an actor to be able to it's bad enough as a tv actor that you don't film sequentially mm. but when you have to imagine your other two actors there huh. I, i'm i'm absolutely full of admiration for that and and doing things like you know if, if there's if there's cuddling or kissing involved, they're partners to come in. And no, no, they I know a number of couples where the um, actor's partner may not be an actor, but looks sufficiently like the person concerned with a bit mm. of help from wigs and makeup. And they're, um, they're just coming in as a double. So it's- You're absolutely right. When you see things from the past and you see, uh, like I was watching some football the other day on uh, YouTube um, and you see the crowds. I was watching 60s football, actually, and 70s football in my, my, for my, my team, Manchester City. And you see, particularly when there was no seating, I mean, it absolutely looks medieval. Now, I mean, it always didn't, never looked particularly good, nor was it particularly good. There's a lot of romance about standing on football in football grounds. That's absolute tosh. But... Um, it, when you see it now and you see people so 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 tight it is incredible to see that now and i wonder whether that'll ever i mean i have to say personally i wouldn't mind if a bit of the social well it's i was listening to um tom carriage talk about this on on his lovely show i just watched on tv about saving british pubs which is really interesting in the current climate and he says in his restaurant they uh, have banned the term social distancing they call it physical distancing but social oh. closeness which i, which I think is that's really nice. a better term yeah you know and i wouldn't might would bother me at all if streets were a bit less crowded of course that's terrible for the for, for commerce but i think i like you i don't particularly seek out large gatherings unless it's a dark and in the theater <laughs> actively quite nervous in in large gowns i've been very lucky be because in theater i've spent so much time in rehearsals and sitting in dress rehearsals um that i find it very difficult to sit in the middle of a row i always go for seats on the end oh and, really and I'm very How uncomfortable sitting in the middle of a row mm. um so I'm, I'm sure that will be worse now with the knowledge and the other aspect certainly for the London theatres it's fine if you live in London but would you want to go on a train and then on the underground at rush hour to get to a theatre for 7 30 I don't feel ready to do that yet that's a good point I we used to tickets. feel a real buzz but I'm not sure now we have tickets to see uh, Kira and I I was going to take her to see uh, everyone's talking about Jamie and another another visit to Hamilton uh, and they're both on yeah. in uh, May um and I, I, you're exactly right i i'm not so worried about being in the theater because i'm sure they'll have thought about that very I carefully think they will. I, I think theaters 
I think it's ironic that theatres have been one of the last things that the government consider reopening because every theatre I know is going to huge lengths, even amateur theatres, to keep people at a distance. I think there are far more dangerous, but potentially dangerous places than theatres, but you've got to get there. Yes, yes, and the tube in particular. Yes. Is, has, is, um, gosh, I do sound like a country bumpkin, but <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah. It's yeah. horrible. Yes. Tube, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, it's it's horrible anyway. But the thought of being yes in there and yes, so yes. I I think I it'd be really interesting to see how quickly people can be persuaded to go back to theatre. Um, this was something we debated a lot before I left the loft. Is whether they're really going to flock back in the way that we hoped, or whether there would be caution and particularly maybe in the older generation who are quite a large part of a regional theatre's audience so it'll be an equal on the other hand i miss it terribly um mm. I, I don't i don't find online viewing you simply don't get the feedback you don't get the buzz you don't get the it's just not the same it really isn't no. it's interesting and i've watched some good stuff that i perhaps wouldn't have seen otherwise but it's not the same Nothing oh. live theatre. Gosh, no. And the last thing I did, of course, was your... We ought to get on to your plans for August, of course. Yes. Yeah. Let's do that now before we go any further, actually, since we've been... We're 20 minutes in. I normally do half an hour and, and it spills over, so... Sorry, so Graham. No, 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 it's uh, me. Um, I'm, I'm very bad at this uh, unpaid amateur job. <laughs> um, uh, so... Yes, but we have a, we ha you have plans for uh, for for an opening in October in August, don't you? In August, um, yes, the bank holiday weekend. We know that the uh, playhouse is already operating socially distanced. How how much we need to at that stage remains to be seen, but we'll work on that basis. And I think by then, especially in the summer, when we know the case numbers historically have gone down in the summer. I feel pretty confident about that. Um, mm. I, I think, and and I think it's a light-hearted piece, which I think is a good thing. I think, uh, sadly, we are about to see a huge number of dramas about lockdown and- Oh, really? Coming to us. Um, the last I, thing we want to see, isn't it? Uh, well, uh, unfortunately, but playwrights will get in, you know, mm. it will become, uh, it'll become the thing to do. And yeah, I agree with you. I think we need to recapture theatre as entertainment um, and as fun. So yes, so the Shakespeare Review, 28th and 29th of August, and really excited. I will we'll pick up on rehearsals again in a month or so, deliberately. I, I don't, as you well know, I don't like to over-rehearse and as the dates keep, I've never been in this position where dates keep being put back and put back mm. and put back. It's very strange. Mm. Um, it, mm. It's like a car that won't quite rev up enough to go up the hill. That's but a very good analogy. Hopefully we're coming to the end of that. Well, now, um, um, sometimes my uh, audience reaches double figures. So just in case that is that is the case for this podcast, what do, do you want to tell people what the Shakespeare Review is and, um, you know, what a joy it will be to come and see it? 
Yeah, it's a musical cabaret, basically, uh, a, a collection of pieces, old and new, that are about Shakespeare, about what it's like to be in a Shakespeare play. It's mostly very funny. Some of it's very touching. There's some lovely music. It's got music by Coward, by um, Fascinating Aida, Sondheim. It's that whole range of stuff with, a, I, I have to say, a cracking good cast, really pleased with the cast. And it will be a light-hearted, enjoyable evening at which people can bring drinks to their seats uh, and hopefully just enjoy theatre. And it seems really appropriate that we should be reopening Second Thoughts performance schedule in Stratford with something based on Shakespeare. Mm. It's very Which fortuitous, is isn't it? And it's summer and it's, as you say, it's bank holiday and, and the town will be packed. So there's a chance for dropping people as well. If, if, if it, you know, this is all fingers crossed, of course. And it's exactly what you were saying earlier about just now about uh, doing theatre that is that is, is at least likely to bring a smile to the lips. <laughs> I, I, I will be very disappointed if it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly yeah. is to ours as we do it. It's, it's, yeah. it's hilarious. I, I, I hadn't, when you said Shakespeare Review, I'm so ignorant that I thought, oh, it's a review that, um, you know, that, that Amanda has devised with Andrew and so on. But no, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's very well performed by very talented actors in the past, doesn't it? It, it, it is. Uh, it absolutely is, and it's, it's, it, it, it's also, it's got a lot of the best quotes from Shakespeare in it as well, <laughs> and um, some really good music. So yes, it will be a light-hearted evening. Yes, afternoon. There's a Sunday matinee as well. Be a summer, a summer entertainment. It'd be yes. a summer entertainment. Yes. And, and I would be very surprised if audiences flocked to see sh shows about lockdown. I really would. Yes. But sometimes... Playwrights will have to be very skilled to make that appealing. Yes. Yes. I, I, I agree. I hope it doesn't happen. But I mean, the piece that um, the piece that uh, um, David Tennant did was um, staged, you know, that 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 what's for much about lockdown was it but it, it drew on with michael experience. sheen yes yes i thought yes. it was terrific but and yes. there but that, that's a case in point isn't it that's superb actors yes. you're going to watch them for the actors aren't you but yes. at our level i say our level in our world i would have thought that the bear pit and second thoughts and uh whoever else are going to want to put shows on that are that are quite some distance from the lockdown experience i would have thought Yes, I, I think that's I think that's right. I'm talking more about the the uh, more intense theatres or uh, Radio Four or um, those who feel mm. we should learn. And there are a lot of lessons to be learned. I mean, the world. If you think what's happened in the world in the last twelve months, not just COVID, but Brexit, uh, what's been going on in America, the sort of events that have taken place in Bristol this last weekend. Yes. You know, there's a lot of turmoil, and a lot of people have done some serious rethinking uh, about where they're going yes and drama reflects that yes it, uh, yeah, no, that's absolutely right that is absolutely right yes that's absolutely right the themes around all of those things you've just said and including the mental health issues that you just talked about and the relationship issues that have either been you know, strengthened or stretched or <laughs> snapped. We, we just said at lunchtime, actually, well, we can celebrate 
49 years of marriage this year and we've just spent a year together very intensely we haven't actually killed each other so um well 49 years you let that go by very quickly that's the, the 49 years that's quite something then yep yeah long Bravo. time yeah it's a long time especially in theater it's a long time but uh yes there are ways of doing it well um let's let's uh go back in the past since we, you mentioned the past a little bit there so uh would you care to share uh one of the one of the lovely things about my doing this is that it does give me an excuse to be flagrantly nosy would you care to share something about how you got into theater and uh and and uh why and yeah fulfilled you yeah. and i actually scribbled down some notes to remind myself actually because i suppose it is my career in theater it just about is the same length as my marriage. Um, <laughs> I didn't go to the theatre until I was about 11. I'm a service child and spent... Mm, I see, I didn't know that. Now that's interesting. I'm an mm. RAF child, spent quite a lot of my childhood living overseas. Mm. So not regular, even TV of that era, people say to me, didn't you used to watch? And I said, no, no, we didn't have British television. So, but I lived for a while when I was around about 11 in Farnham in Surrey, which had a little repertory theatre called the Castle Theatre. And my school took us. That was the first time I ever saw live theatre. And I immediately joined. And I, it was weekly rep, can you imagine? Mm -hmm. And I went every Saturday to the matinee on my own, just mm -hmm. took myself off, got the bus, and sort of fell in love with it. Then got posted overseas. We, we got posted overseas. I lived away, so theatre, I wasn't brave enough to visit foreign theatres, nor indeed fluent enough. And then when I was about 16, I was by that stage in a um, boarding school because my parents were yet again overseas. And I, the, the school, I wasn't really involved with the school drama, but the, the, the sixth form were putting on a production of The Mikado. I also knew no Gilbert and Sullivan, but my best friend was helping with the lighting and I was asked if I would pair with her to do follow spot. So we sat on step ladders in the audience with our two follow spots and I had a quick rundown on the theory of follow spotting. There is a theory. You is there? Believe. Yeah. Oh yes, yes, there are rules, which was all, this is quite exciting. And then about five minutes before curtain up, her she went to turn her follow spot on and it wasn't working. Oh, God. The bulb had gone, no spare bulbs. So the elderly gentleman who who came in to do these things said, "That's fine. You'll just have to you'll just have to follow spot. You'll have to follow spot everything. Forget what I said to you. You just have to use no headphones. You'll just have to use your initiative." <laughs> so I did that, and I absolutely loved the buzz. Mm. I loved that whole sense of having to busk it through an emergency. Uh, completely fell in love with it. Uh, especially sitting in the middle of the audience and being able to hear them. So yes. I mm. then re got involved with everything going on at school, right through to when I was 18, directing a dance drama and, and winning the school competition for it. So I, I fell in love with directing then as well. And I directed a, another school production. I was constantly in trouble with my academic staff for, I used to have to hide up a stepladder when the headmistress came through the hall mm. if I was on the stage. Until my parents wanted to go to drama school to do stage to train as a stage manager. 
my dad, who didn't believe in theatre at all, said, only if you do a secretarial course first. I might consider it if you do that. So I got sent to a, we were by that stage living just outside Oxford, and I got sent to a very upmarket secretarial school in Oxford. Where various things happened, I discovered that the Oxford Playhouse, which was a very good touring house in those days, employed students as stage crew. They were a non-union house, so they had weekly tours in of big stuff, pre-West End tours, Ballet Rambe, London Contemporary Dance Theatre, a lot of, um, you know, premieres of shows by Alan Bennett, by Simon Gray. So really exciting time in theatre. And I presented myself at the stage manager's office and said, I'm looking for some casual work. Gosh. And he said, no, you're a girl. Oh, which really? Is, was allowed. And I continued to present myself in his office every day for the next, <laughs> or, or every week for the next six weeks until in the end he said, oh, for goodness sake, yes, all right. And um, I then managed to get myself very regularly on the stage crew or in the costume department or very occasionally doing sort of repairs, that sort of thing, which was not bad money, but also introduced me to a lot of people. Great training because you find out so much, if you want to be a director, you find out so much about the mechanics of it. And did they take you on in paid employment or was it sort of... Uh... Oh yes, no, no, I was paid, I was wow. paid, it's a casual rate, it, was, it wow. wasn't a permanent job, but I mean, I was, the crew I worked with who were all undergraduates, one went on to run the Theatre Royal Norwich, eventually one was head of the Barbican Marketing. Good Lord. You know, some, some really exciting people and dressing, where you go into an actor's dressing room and they talk to you a lot, um, you learn a lot about actors. And, I'm sure you do. You know, there were there were people like Tom Baker, Rene Asherson, wow. Um, wow. all sorts of uh, people. So it was it was a good time, and I learnt a lot. But I also met my husband. Ah. Who was the house manager there, and I also joined a, a local amateur group, and got very involved with them as a stage manager. And from then, whenever Nick moved, I had to sort of start again. So I worked in admin for a while. I worked at an arts centre. I worked um, for the Horseshoe Theatre Company in Basingstoke on the admin side. He then moved north, Nick moved north, and I did some marketing. And then I changed because re I really wanted to be backstage. I, I didn't want to be... Um, on the admin side so much and I got a job as company manager for Opera North. I knew nothing about Opera. Wow. It's a very closed world and company manager for an opera company is not quite like company manager for a theatre company. It's very much a um, HR planning, scheduling, looking after singers, keeping them calm, visiting all the rehearsal rooms, all of that side of things, which I was terrific. Went from there, I, I got a job as a theatre manager and hated it. It's good. Where was that? At Harrogate. I ran Harrogate Theatre for three oh. years. But sadly, in at the end of my first year, the Arts Council were doing a big, I don't know if you ever picked up something called the glory of the garden, which basically meant they 
trimmed back what they considered to be weeds and cut their grants. Oh, and God. Harrogate was one of them. Was it? Oh, so when that closed, a partner and I, somebody I worked with, got together and founded an events company. So Good we did things from we did a um, we did a big event at York Station connected to a cricket match at Scarborough. We opened a pub in Teesside. Gosh. We ran a dance. We did all sorts of, I mean, we never made any money, but we 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 had a great time doing it. Gosh. And then I started to pick up loads of freelance work as a company manager. I went to Ireland every year for eight years wow. as assistant to the artistic director of a festival, both in Wexford and in Dublin. She's now my daughter's godmother, actually, and a okay. best friend. Um, I did, um, I also with her, I was company manager for one of the big girls called Arena Operas with a company of like 200. And um, and up in the north, I don't know if it happens so much down here, but in the north of England, a lot of the big operatic societies that, that hire a big theatre for a week or two weeks will engage a professional director and a professional stage manager. So I got quite a lot of work doing that, which was great. Um, my fellow professionals would say to me, you know, you're working for an amateur company. I'd say, yeah, but I, I do two weeks work. I get paid well. I've done more musicals than you will do in your career. Mm. I was doing three or four a year. Mm. Uh, I was on my own. So I was stage manager. I was on the book. I was assisting the director. I was also learning the art of recognizing that amateurs want to be the best they can, but they are amateurs and they have day jobs. So I learned a lot and I learned a lot with the directors I worked with and kind of built from there, did some freelance production management, toured a company around the Dales, worked for a small theater company in Darlington, just doing whatever comes up. So you're going from what literally one contract to another yeah, that's but that's but, how most theatre people work. Exactly. So, I did the York Mystery Place one year, where the again a company of two hundred, but the director, the production team, the stage management were all professionals working, doing this amazing experience. Uh, very um, necessarily quite sort of uh, well, not exactly hand to mouth, but. Um, was it as precarious as one imagines or, or, yes. or as you said earlier was there lots of work around and it was fairly easy to pick up if you'd got a decent rep and so on no i would say there were there were periods and throughout my life when i've tempted so the secretary of my father's quite right the secretary of training <laughs> uh came in i i've tempted in all sorts of odd places um quite a lot actually in hospitals um as a secretary i'd sign up to an agency do one two weeks work but again actually as a theatre person that's good because yes. you know that as an actor yes you observe yeah and what you observe feeds back in i don't know if you've ever heard amy freelancing on stories she tells she is no, hilarious. I, I think she should be aiming to be the next victoria wood she really is 
but equally as a director you observe and you see places and and it kind of it's all experience that goes together but yeah i it, it is precarious there's no doubt at all about that and you could presumably as you say you had your secretarial work in the back pocket as it were but presumably you could have said at any point oh this is just too this is just too unstable unpredictable i need to have a secure job and, and gone into something full-time that was not related to theater but so so was it it was it was it the, the love and the passion for yes the kept you going absolutely. absolutely and that's what i always say to young people this has got to be the only thing you want to do ha huh, how interesting it, it's no good if it's not the only thing and if what you want is that steady income and security be a good amateur i'm sorry that i don't mean that in any way to sound patronizing i have the highest regard for amateur performers but it, it is it is, it always will be, it still is precarious. Not only is my daughter a performer, but actually my niece is as well. And um, she has to find other ways of supplementing her income. So... To an extent, that is the case. People say this is much more the case with theatre than anything else, but I don't know whether that's true. In most walks of life, that, that line you've just used, only make it the one thing you want to do. That's so important for kind of generally, you know, uh, jobs in general, actually. Hmm. But most people, I suspect, um, don't take the wager that it, that, it, that, that their passion might be at least helpful in keeping uh, a roof over your head. Hmm. Most people don't take that wager. And... Uh, and uh, and go do something else instead. I'm a case in point in that. Uh, but you and Amy and uh, well, your whole family, in fact, have, have said let's uh, let's give it a go, haven't you? Mm. You've all, you've well, all well, done you know, that. Nick, you know, Nick was a teacher when he left university. No, I didn't know that. I knew he worked in a theatre professionally for he, a long time. No, he left uh, university with a degree in classics. Well, huh. degree in. Um, whatever Oxford call it, lit, literary humaniores. So he did philosophy as well. Went to Windsor Boys School as a classics teacher. Good Lord. Uh, spent two years there. And then they, they, it was the time when they were beginning to cut back the classics. And as the last one in, he was the first one out. And as that happened, his, his, uh, the director of the Oxford Playhouse was looking for a new house manager. And somebody put him in touch and he thought, well, this is an opportunity being put in front of me. Yes. Now or never. And he made that leap. But admin's steadier. Uh, if you stuck, if I'd stuck with admin, but it's just, I don't, Nick got a buzz out of it. Nick got a buzz out of sitting in board meetings, dancing around campus. <laughs> I haven't got the patience. So where does that take us to then, Amanda, in the 49 years of your theatre life? Where does that take us to in terms of where you're, this particular experience you're talking about in the in Yorkshire and, 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 and going over to Ireland? And... In what, well, yes, where did I get to? I came back, I came, I then had, a, as you know, quite late on, had a, had a child and gave up, more or less gave up work for five years. I typed for a forensic psychologist for... Did you? and made cushions and curtains for the theatre to, to earn a bit of money. But I basically wanted to spend that five years before Amy went to school. And then I gradually, having come down here, I picked up some work stage managing for, an, for the amateur operatic. I 
chaperoned at the RSC because, because I had no recent track record, so I had to ease my way back in. And then I got a job at Longborough Festival Opera, which of course opera is a very specialised area. Um, opera, opera is a strange world. When I first went to work for Opera North in Leeds, they would talk in what was like a foreign language. So, you know, they'd say, oh yes, so-and-so's just played Violetta in Spoleto and <laughs> what? Uh, it's a very closed world. It's a very small mm, world. Mm. Um, and happily, because Longborough was growing, the hours I worked, I started part-time and the job grew. So I spent eight years there. And what job was that? What were you doing there? So, merger, I started as marketing, Okay. but I became much more generally admin and opera planning. I did, I worked on rehearsal schedules. I did a lot of the contract negotiating and contracting of singers, uh, that sort of thing by the time I left, which is really what I wanted to do. Um, and now it's hard to find work when you get older. You know, it's um, paid work. I'm doing more writing these days. Oh, yeah. Uh, which I've always wanted to do. And I genuinely enjoy, I, I need to earn, I still need to earn a living because of what mentioned, you know, you don't build up a big pension in this world. Um, so the creative work I do with Second Thoughts, I've just had another possible uh, directing job under discussion, um, which I'm excited about. And I'm very involved with the Warwickshire Symphony Orchestra. Uh, as all as volunteers, but I earn my living now, what I do earn, I earn by doing websites and mm. I work for a chap who edits a woodworking magazine, mm -hmm. who needs an admin assistant because seven years ago he had a significant brain injury. And whilst he's still great at editing a woodworking magazine, he finds it very difficult to focus on uh accounts and record keeping and day-to-day -day correspondence so i work as his pa and um i do a bit of paid web work, web work as well so, but to work in theater now i might um when i move which we have plans for i'd still love to work in box office i really love the audience contact is that what you are you box office manager at the loft at, at the loft yeah. no i was general manager oh general manager right i right, went right. there as um computer systems manager for the box office and then a vacancy came up and I did that for, uh, I was going to do it for three years. I, in the end, I only did two and a half years for a variety of reasons, which I will share with you on another occasion. But I'm still, I'm still involved with the loft. I'm still supporting the incoming manager and still looking after their box office. Side. So it really has been a lifelong passion and 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 will remain so forever presumably this is what are the what is one of the many 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 wonderful things we talk about you talk about age there and i and i, I sympathize with you not simple i understand what you what you what you're saying this is in any profession it's hard, it's hard it gets harder and harder to to be paid the older you get and there is this perception that for young people it is uniquely difficult i don't i think it's just difficult for most people actually but um you your work in the amateur field has 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 uh, well i mean that's how i get, got to know you um do you ever have you ever sort of counted how many shows you've directed or written or co-directed or, or whatever over over in this in stratford and so on 
know. It's on my CV somewhere. Um, it's a huge number, isn't it? it? It is a lot, yes. And I've done a lot of the shows that I really, really wanted to do. I have somewhere at the back of my mind is a regret. I was supposed to sit Oxford and Oxford Cambridge entrance exam in my third year sixth form, and I, basically I screwed up one of my A levels and that dropped off and I still in a way that was a good I'm not that sort of academic um, and there were very few universities that in those days did drama as a degree but it's really hard to break into directing professionally at the level I would like to have done without that of course um, oh really without that kind of academic background how interesting Oh yeah, I, I was quite academic, especially languages, but I just wasn't focused enough on my A-levels. Um, and, and if you look, the frustration, I mean, if, if you just look at two cousins, Amy, who did a music degree and then went to drama school for a year to, to move towards the profession, her younger cousin who went to Cambridge and had an agent before she left Cambridge, because there were just so many drama opportunities. And that is, that's nothing to do with their personalities. That's not that, but that is very typical. A lot right. of the directors you see are universities. So, so one frustration. But the other thing I was actually going to say is one, one of the things that I have, I, I think I'm most proud of is the work that Andrew and I did with Rogues and Vagabonds and with mm. young people and the impact that I know it had. We set ourselves up as a company that didn't teach and didn't promise like so many stagecoaches that, that this would potentially lead to a career in theatre. But as what we really hoped for is that we were introducing young people who would maybe move on into amateur theatre or be audiences. And what I saw over the, the what, 14 years we ran it, the impact it had on a number of them, not every single one, you're a teacher, you know that some just sail through and it's fine and it's something they do and they forget about it. But we had a, a significant number of young people who really learnt and grew through it, notably those with we were not afraid to take on people. We, we had a number of young people who were autistic, who uh, worked with us, not always successfully, but a couple of whom I'm really proud, who, who made enormous strides. And I know from parental feedback that, that Rogues was, was very important to them, but also that as a group, we very much encouraged um what do you call it vertical socializing so mm -hmm. when a new youngster would come into the group they would be given a mentor from amongst the older children not necessarily to be with them all the time but just somebody whose job it was for the first term to to make sure they were integrating and, mm. and when we went into a venue because there were 30 of them and i would be besieged by all these questions their instruction was the first thing they had a question they went to their mentor first mm -hmm. uh, and then if they couldn't to my assistant and then to me so so that and and a really strong encouraging the older ones to look after the younger ones these were all things andrew and i believed passionately and that mm. the one golden rule is we would not tolerate bullying in any shape or form mm. 
and, and you get that's I, uh, the people that i've met in the shows that you've done that uh have been you know as it were alumni of, of, of rogues and vagabonds or still with them when they were acting in the shows that you did that i did there is a joy from uh them in terms of what they do in a real uh uh, not an overconfidence, but a, but an assurance. That's the word I would use. An assurance. I'm going to be all right here if I work really hard. Yeah. That ethic is that what you were trying to? Yeah, I think to... that's it. exactly that. That it's 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 not it it's the group's achievement. I mean, for example, with Rogues, uh, we never took star curtain calls. Wherever the company ended up at the end of the evening, basically they then stood there as a company and they took mm. their bows. Mm. We didn't. I, of course, we had children who stood out and and played bigger roles but we very intentionally would not let that uh, go to their heads i suppose i think the most moving story of all and that this one actually made me cry was we had a, a little girl who came to us when she was about 11 who was on the spectrum quite so she was very bright but but noticeably autistic I'm, I'm sure you know there's all sorts of different manifestations and we were rehearsing a show uh, with quite big crowd scenes and so we said well we can slip her into this that's fine because of what it was it was whistle down the wind oh yes and then the week before the show uh, and, and the first three sessions she came to at least her mother had to pull her into the rehearsal room I mean she just and I appointed a couple of the older girls, Vanessa was one of them, um, to to watch over her, to be there, to kind of, you know, just make sure that she was okay. And the week before the show, her grandmother said, of course, she's not doing the show. And I went, oh, right, okay, that's fine. We can cope. But if she decides she wants to do the show because of the way it's been set up, that's fine too. She can do whatever. And on the night of the dress rehearsal, I was just, I was just about to start the show and I went out to the ladies as I always do before we start a long rehearsal and met her coming in with her mother and I said, oh, hello, you, you, and she said, I think she's just come to watch and I said, that's fine, just take her in. I said, go and, go and sit with Annie, who was my choreographer and I suppose I was five, ten minutes. When I came back, she'd vanished, she appeared on stage, she did the entire run uh quite happily and uh, on the last night i was standing in the hall with her mum who'd come to see the show and i said oh have you you not because we used to stand and supervise the children being reunited with their parents and she said oh here she comes and she came out with a couple of the older girls and she was some time coming to her mother because she was hugging various people <laughs> and her mother emailed as soon as i got home there was an email from her mother saying i have never seen her make physical contact with anybody outside the immediate family. Mm. And she said, I mm. cried. Oh my goodness. And I just thought if if the power of drama can do yes. that, or, or being, mm. it's probably the same as she'd been a boy and was in a football team. Mm. But if you can create that experience that, that gives that security. And she was a very, very talented young lady. She played leading roles for us. Um, but she worked with me on overcoming her difficulties, like, she was she found eye contact very difficult and i said you've got there are times when you've got to do this if you seriously want to be a performer which she did you have got to do this uh and she reached a maturity where i could say to her right if i give you a direction and it doesn't make sense to you you don't understand what i'm trying to say come back to me we'll we'll look at it another way 
Uh, that I think that was sort of so key to the power of what a company can do, what the support of a company, what a team. Yes. It isn't drama alone. Unfortunately, we're drawing to a close now, but this is a really good place to kind of to take yeah. to take the final words, because because it, the, the drama is uh, it's not it isn't that's not distinction. It's not just drama. It's not just theatre. It's the it's the organisation of the theatre. It's the company of the theatre. It's its leadership. Because one of the things you're famous for, famous for in the area in the field in which I I've I've worked with you is your is your uh, well, exactly what you just said. Your collegiality—you you, you really do. You, you use the word "company" when you're directing as much as you use any other word. I think if there was to be a wordle of your uh, <laughs> words, that would be in big letters. And the other thing that you're very, very famous for is is patience, even when you perhaps don't feel it. No, um, I have my moments, <laughs> which then yeah. goes out into the into the company so if let's suppose there are people listening who are of a younger age who 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 are uh, thinking about let's end where we began i suppose as we you know because we look forward into people who are who are excited by theater and and want to and and and, and have had that excitement as it were parked for a year there's still lots to look forward to isn't there i think for, at, at whatever age you are very much so. Yes, I will go on making theatre in one way or another forever. And, and that's one of the joys of theatre. There is no age bar. You just have to recognise your own limitations. But, you know, go for it. I'll go on, Graham. I'll have you on stage when you're 90 in something. You will not be able to get me off the stage. No, I'm, I'm sure. But I'm it, is, it is a thing, isn't it? The theatre, as I said earlier, it is a thing. No matter what age you are, um, you there's a, there's a place for you yes no matter what it is and, yeah. and, and and wherever you are in the theater it is in a decent theater like the bear pit for example it's magical yes yes it whether is whether in front of house or once said to nick and i i, I took this on even as a, a, a he was a house manager for a number of years you know doing the night performance and the day you lose the magic when the curtain goes up or the lights go up the day that that doesn't give you a thrill obviously not every single night but the mm. day you lose that thrill is the day to mm. walk away mm. and i would and i still get a thrill absolutely it's like people say that's a very interesting uh, that's a very interesting take on the, the famous kind of theatrical butterflies that people have just before they go on stage and it's very hard to persuade people oneself included that those butterflies, whether you're operating the lights or whether you're operating or whether you're operating the cash register in the bar or whether you're taking the tickets at the front or whether you're about to go on stage, all those butterflies are part of the magic. When I was stage managing, when I was show running big musicals, there is a moment you've got everything set up, you've got all your operators there, you've got hopefully your actors on stage. When front of house rings through or comes around and says, okay, show's yours. <laughs> and there used to be a moment, certainly on the first couple of nights around when I think, Actually, I don't think I want to do this. No. <laughs> no, it, it, as a stage manager, it's that same moment of terror. And you're the person who's got to look as if you're completely in control. But Absolutely. That's the magic of it. That, that, but you that. do, you see, you do look in control. Not, not everybody does. <laughs> well, I'm obviously a better actor than I thought I was. Well, so. that's a serious point there, isn't there? That the, 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 the acting goes on throughout the theatre, whatever stage you, you, whatever you're doing. Well, is a performance. Life, really, doesn't it? 
you, know, you have to as a director you have to give kind of confidence to people don't yes. you you know what you're doing yes and, and so on you do. i think that's very important you've got to you have got to give and you've heard me say this in directing lectures i think and and you do the same you have got to get to the point where even if you're not 100 percent satisfied with the show the actors believe they have a great show mm, good line they've, that is a very got, good line they've got to go out on stage and do it mm. it's not an audience you mm. can go on a hide mm. um so, mm. so many things there, aren't there? We could do a whole new podcast, whole podcast, and perhaps we, we will could. about directing itself, actually, because that's. Yeah, sorry, I've sort of rambled on, uh, but um... not at all. It's been it's been fascinating, uh, Amanda, and uh, and I did uh, I love these because you get to I in pre lockdown times that there, there would be there would be no excuse for me to say, Amanda, can I just sit down with you for an hour and <laughs> find out what you've done? So there is there are pluses to this process that it's good forced this kind of this kind of process into life yes. and enable yes. these kind of conversations to happen and, and i'm determined you know that, we, that even when we are all as it were unlocked um i i will i'm going to go on doing these because it'd be really interesting i think for i hope it'd be interesting for people like your good self to to, to do one later down the line and look back on this one and and think whether how things have changed or not you yes know, interesting. Well, interesting. Changed. no i think it's right i've spent time during lockdown sort of exploring on youtube interviews with people and mm. old shows mm. and mm. Um, mm. things like that things that i don't normally have time to do and reading things that i don't normally have time to read so yes there is good come out of it if you use it constructively. and i think we have to hang on to that actually yes. there's a lot yes. of, there's a lot of kind of nonsense that one engaged in and waste and time wasting things that that the world one engaged in and still i still do obviously and we all do but as you were saying earlier, there's a lot of writing and reading and connecting with people that we've had to do to, to keep ourselves sane as much as anything else that have gone on to be essential to yes. us, I think. Yes. yes. I think right. True. Thank you very much, Amanda, for that for, for your time. And um and uh we finish with the mention of the of the Shakespeare review, which is I believe 28th and 29th of August. Of August. And that's at the playhouse. Fine. Booking not open yet, um, but we'll we'll just let the, the roadmap go a little further before we open booking. But it won't be long. No, and it will put a summer smile on our audience's faces. We will do. Yes. Good to talk to you, Graham. And you, Amanda. Bye.